know that for some of you, it was probably a, a little bit of a maze trying to figure out how to get here through all of the OC Marathon stuff. For, so well done. I would imagine some people just said, oh, forget it. I'll go run it or something like or heckle people as they're running it right now. And what is this? Like what's what's with the, is this like the spitting section up here? Nobody wanted to, to sit up. All right. Oh, I love you. Thank you. That's it. If you're if you want to keep backing away, I'm going to move towards you. I'm going to I'm going to preach from here this morning. Doggone it. Come on. I'm not afraid to get near you. <laughs> that would be inappropriate. I'm not going to do it. Lee. Don't don't tempt me because I will do it. OK, so. First off, I just want to say thank you guys so much. Uh, last week was a really, really emotional week. Um, and I am grateful for your, I'm, I'm grateful for your encouragement, your support um, in this. And I am excited for what God has in store for our church. I'm grateful for the shoulders I get to climb up on in Lee and Mary and their investment in this church. And we will be celebrating them in these coming months. But I am excited for what God has. And just to let you know where we're at, um, I spent a good portion of this week beginning to cull through the 15 or so resumes that were given to us, and we cut that down to about six. And then after uh, interviews with those at six, we cut that down to four. And this week, we will begin our first face-to-face interviews with people. So we're excited to, to hire a new associate pastor to come in and run somebody who will love this church as much as Lee loves this church, as much as I love this church. I would just ask for your prayers, for discernment. Because sometimes what you look at on paper and go, this person's perfect, God goes, yeah, it looks perfect, but that's not my man. And we're looking for the one that God goes, this guy, this one. This is the person you want running with you. So I would really, really appreciate your prayers in that. We are going to be finishing up our study through the book of Galatians today. So if you have a Bible, grab it with with me and go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 6. Last week, we, we went through the second half of five, and I'll just remind you what we talked about there because it's very, very foundational to what we'll talk about today. In Galatians chapter five, particularly that last section, he, he talked about these two voices that vie for our attention and for our submission. The first is the, the voice of our sin nature inside that says, follow me. Paul refers to it as our flesh. But he's really just talking about that sin nature that's a part of us that says, I know how to do this better than God knows how to do this. I want to be the captain of my own ship. I want to kind of run it whatever feels good. And then the other voice inside is the voice of the Holy Spirit that is entrusted to us, given to us when we give our hearts to Jesus Christ. It's the same spirit that empowered him throughout his ministry, that helped him turn water into wine, helped him walk on water, helped him cast demons out of people, and ultimately the spirit that rose him from the dead, and that same spirit lives in you and me when we give our hearts to Jesus Christ. And both of these voices vie for our attention and say, follow me, and how we choose to respond, whether we follow the flesh's impulse or the spirit's impulse, will ultimately determine the fruit that is produced in our lives. Because if we listen to the flesh... The kind of fruit that begins to be produced is things like lust and insecurity and anger and animosity and and separation of brother from brother. But if we listen to the spirit, the kind of fruit that's naturally produced there, things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, sense of humor, that kind of stuff, you know? Um, And and Paul says, choose, but choose wisely because it matters. And now as we get into Galatians chapter 6, we're going to read it right now, just over the first half of it first, and then we'll we'll finish all the way through today. But we're going to read the first half up front. 
And I just want to let you know that at first it's going to seem perhaps like it doesn't flow directly out of what Paul is saying, but it does. Because what Paul is doing here is saying, I've shown you two ways to go, either following the flesh or following the spirit. But this is what it looks like to follow the spirit and to live as people who are led by the spirit within a community of believers. So brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. So carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they're something when they're not, they deceive themselves. So each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, The one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Now, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh from that flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. So let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. First few times I read through this, I kind of went, wow, Paul, you're all over the place. Like you're talking about this, and then you're talking about that, and it just feels at times, at least on your initial read through, like it might just be disparate thoughts. Almost like Paul's at the end of his thoughts. He's kind of gone through all the big stuff, and now he's like Menudo. He's just throwing everything in. You know, that sounds good. Oh, need need a little bit of that too. And yet, I want us to to go back through this. We're going to go line by line, and and we will see that this actually hinges very much off, off of what he's already said. You have to choose who you're going to follow. And if you're following the Spirit, this will naturally be an outflow. And it really builds upon itself. So he begins here. Verse word, brothers and sisters, is a reminder of who he's talking to. He's talking to those of us who call Jesus Christ our Savior and our Lord. He's talking to people who have been entrusted with the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we've been adopted into God's family. And so he says, "Your, your family, act like it. When you see a brother or a sister who's stumbling in sin, don't just turn the other way. Don't just ignore it. Don't just pretend. Because remember, he's writing to young, fledgling churches, people who are saying, I follow Jesus. He's my Lord. But then you look at the fruit that their life is producing, and it doesn't look anything like that they're following Jesus. In fact, it looks a lot more like they're following the flesh. And so he says, if you see a brother or sister stumbling in sin, you who are being spirit-led, should restore them. But don't just turn a blind eye. Don't just ignore it. But also don't do it with arrogance. Don't do it with a sense of I'm better than that person. So brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. At first glance, we might think, oh, we'll be tempted in the same things, right? So somebody who struggles with alcoholism probably shouldn't be going and trying to going into bars to try to pull his brothers and sisters out of the bars because they're struggling with alcoholism because they could very easily fall into the same thing. Or somebody who struggles with lust probably shouldn't sign up with Triple X Church to go to adult entertainment conventions to try to pull people out of that lifestyle because they could very easily fall into it, right? I mean, that just is common sense. 
If you don't know how to swim, don't go try to be a lifeguard. But I don't necessarily know that that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. It's common sense, but what he's talking about is something different, a different type of temptation. I suspect what Paul is talking about, and the reason I get this is because of the context of what he goes on to talk about. He's talking about don't be tempted towards pride. When you see a brother or a sister who has fallen flat on their face, stumbled into sin, the fruit of their life indicates that they've been following the flesh, not the spirit. Don't begin to look at them and go, oh, you poor, poor, weak follower of Jesus. You just don't get it. And begin to look down upon them. Because look at verse 3. He goes on to say, if anyone thinks that there's something, or other translations have, if anybody thinks that they're better than another person when they're not, They deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. In other words, don't look to other people. Don't look over here and go, well, how am I doing next to to Mark or next to Jeannie or next next to Bella? How am I doing compared to them? In fact, I would not want to try to judge myself according to any of them because I would not come out looking very well. But don't look at other people because they are not the, the kind of sample set that God uses. He doesn't grade on a curve. If anything, we're like a bunch of people laying down in the bottom of a pit. And if we start comparing ourselves to other people, we're like, ooh, I'm a little bit higher in the pit than you are. But, but God judges us according to be holy as I am holy. His is the example we are called to set. And by, according to that, none of us can stand up and go, I've done this. I'm good. I am righteous compared to them. So he goes on in verse 4. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. You know, Jesus spoke about this very kind of tendency in us to compare ourselves when he he told the story of two men that went in the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, one of the spiritual leaders of his people. The other was a tax collector, one of the most despised group of people in the entire Israelite community. So despised, in fact, that when Jesus talked about sinners and tax collectors, sinners came first because they were socially more acceptable than tax collectors were. So a Pharisee and a tax collector walk into the temple to pray. And the Pharisee comes in thinking, God, thank you for making me, me. Thank you that I don't struggle with the same kind of stuff that those other people struggle with, with lusts and with anger. And thank you that I don't struggle with being a sinner. Thank you that I'm not like that tax collector over there. Because if I were him, I'd want to be me too. And in the corner is the tax collector. And very much in a different posture than the Pharisee. He can't even raise his eyes up to heaven. He's so ashamed and he just sits there with head bowed, beating his chest. God, have mercy on me, sinner that I am. Forgive me. And Jesus said of these two men, only one of them walked out of that temple justified in God's eyes. And it wasn't the Pharisee. Because any person who puffs themselves up will be humbled. But anybody who humbles themselves in my sight will be lifted up. And so what are we called to do as as a family? 
who listen to the spirit inside. It's to, it's to resist the temptation of our flesh to somehow compare ourselves to other people and to make ourselves feel better simply because we don't struggle with the same stuff they do. And if we do see a brother or sister who's struggling with their flesh, struggling with the choices that they're making, we don't just turn a blind eye to it, but we move towards them and we restore them with gentleness. So brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore them gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Kat and I actually had an opportunity to learn what this looked like, to restore somebody gently with humility back when we were just dating. And I was leading a small group at the time with my buddy Jeff. <clears throat> and Kathy and again, again, we're very new in our relationship leading this group, and there was this one particular girl in the group who didn't have very good boundaries. We'll call her Denise, just for sake of conversation today. Denise was the kind of person who gravitated towards Jeff and I. She would always come up and she would pour her heart out to us, not to any of the girls in the group, which was interesting. She would often kind of share what was going on in her life, and then she would leave those pregnant pauses waiting for us to go, oh, you're doing so well, and, and you know, affirm her. She was the kind of person who would give you seven or eight hugs, and they weren't brief hugs, they were long lingering hugs to the point of awkwardness. And Jeff and I didn't think anything of it, but my wife did. My girlfriend at the time, you know, for her, the, her, every time she saw Denise come around me, like the hackles on her back came up and she just went, danger, danger, you know, why is he talking to her? Doesn't he know that, that she's a wolf on the prowl looking to make him her snack? You know, why is she giving him another hug? He just gave her a hug. Come on. And yet my girl has this wonderful gentle heart and so she didn't just kind of give into the flesh's desire to rip this girl's jugular out she kind of went, my god what do you want me to do here and so she decided that every time she got triggered by this girl every time that she saw her going in for yet another hug and she wanted nothing more than to tackle her pin her to the ground and go get away from my man you Jezebel every time that desire began to well up in her heart, she would use that as a prompting to pray for her instead. And at first, the prayer went a little bit like this. God, help Denise see what she's doing. Help her to stop. I, I know that my wife would have loved it if she just never showed back up to the group because it was that kind of an insecure, it was that kind of a feeling of this is not a safe person. And as she began to pray for her week after week, for a couple of months, in fact, God began not to change Denise's heart, began to change Kathy's heart, began to soften it towards her, began to reveal what was underneath the surface of Denise's actions. And she realized, this is a hurting woman. You see, Denise was a single mom, had a very young boy that she would bring with her every week to our small group. She had had her heart broken by a man in her life that should have been faithful to her. And she was overwhelmed. She didn't know how to pr proceed. And so in that midst of overwhelmingness, she glommed on to the two stable men in her life that she was closest with. And she would pour out her heart. And in, in a lot of ways, she was asking for us to speak words of affirmation and hope in her heart because she didn't feel like she was enough. 
<laughs> and those hugs were just hugs of desperation, kind of like a drowning person will hug onto the, um, you know, the buoy once it comes into their arms, like, just don't let me go. And Kathy's heart broke for Denise. And so her t- prayers began to change from God, make her stop, to God, bring somebody into her life who can help her see what she's doing. Somebody who will love her enough to speak truth with gentleness and humility. She prayed that only a couple of times before God one day went, I have. I have brought somebody into her life to speak with love because I brought her you. And Kathy's like, okay. Well, if you want me to speak this, then you need to give me the words. And you need me to give me the timing. I don't want to just go up and do it immediately. See, I'm a bit of an activator. If, some, if like I, I get an impulse to do it, I kind of tend to do it. I have to t- often like pump the brakes with her. It's like, God, give me the right opportunity. Well, about two or three weeks later, after having prayed this a number of times, Denise came up to Kathy at group and said, can I talk to you? And they went out on the patio and she began to pour her heart out to my girl. She said, I don't understand it. Every group I go to, it feels like the women in the group push me away, hold me at arm's length, won't let me in. And for whatever reason, it's the guys who will. And I feel so lonely and I feel so overwhelmed and I just don't get it. Do you have any insight for me? Like, here's your opportunity on a silver platter. What I love about this story, though, is that had she asked Kathy two or three months before, the way she might have responded would have probably been very different. But because she had been praying for her for several months now, and God had been doing a work in her heart, Kathy's response was one of love and redemption. She helped restore Denise gently and with love. And God was also working on Denise's heart, bringing her to the point where she was actually open to and seeking this out. So God worked throughout that whole process. And fast forward, Denise, from that day on, became much more secure in our group. Not only did she become part of our little group family, but she became part of our family, somebody who was a very close friend and closer to Kathy than she was to me, which was the healthy posture. And so Paul says... You who are spiritual should restore those who are broken, who are hurting, who are stumbling in sin. And he goes on, verse 2, that we should carry others' burdens, and in this way we will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, the law of Christ there is is the thing that Jesus said to his disciples on the night that he was arrested. He said, here, a new command I give you. Love one another. By this, the whole world will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. So the law of Christ, to put it another way, is simply the law of love. If we love, we are fulfilling that law. So carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ, or the law of love. Now, if anybody thinks that they're something, if anybody thinks they're better than another, (laughs) they're kidding themselves. Because each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to one another. For each one should carry their own load. Now, if if you for a moment are just going, wait a minute. Sounds like Paul is contradicting himself in just a matter of verses. In verse 2, he says that we should carry one another's burdens. But in verse 5, he just said that each one of us should carry our own load. What does that mean? Like, how do we reconcile those two verses? It would help for us to understand what's going on with those words, what each of those words, burden 
and load means for us to be able to begin discerning what he's getting at. So the word burden is baros in Greek. All it means is an overwhelming weight. Think of a, a couch, right? It's heavy, but it's also awkward. It's not something that you by yourself can lift. And if you try, you're going to end up hurting yourself. So it's something that you need somebody to help you with. A load, on the other, other hand, refers to something like a day pack. Like if you were to go out for a hike, everybody has their own day pack. They've got their food, they've got their water, they've got whatever you might need, maybe some um, you know, first aid kit in there. <clears throat> and everybody's got their own. And it's expected that everybody's going to carry their own. And so he says, each of you should be willing to help one another carry one another's burdens but each of you should be willing to carry your own load, the things that are common amongst all of you that are your responsibility. So don't try to shirk those off on somebody else. Just for fun, I want to give you some examples, and I want you to tell me whether you think this might be a burden or a load, okay? This is going to be the interactive portion, so get ready, because there are wonderful, fabulous prizes in store for you in heaven. We are, we are handing out jewels for your crown, that you'll lay down the moment you get to heaven, so I'm not really sure why we're all so excited about them. Here we go. Okay. Scenario number one. A student has a project for school due in a couple of days. You guys have been here if you've been a parent for any amount of time. He has been procrastinating because he would much rather stay up late at night playing video games than he would rather get ready for that project. His parents are concerned that if he doesn't get it done in time, his grades are going to suffer, understandably so. And so they are tempted to want to help him with that, to make sure it gets done. Burden or load? Is this a burden that they have a responsibility to help him carry to get it done? Or is it a load, something he needs to take responsibility for? What do you think? Oh, you guys are good. One of my very favorite proverbs is... If you rescue a fool in his folly, you're going to have to do it again. Meaning if you try to protect somebody from the choices that they are making so that they don't have to feel the consequences, they're going to keep making the same choice again and again and again. And sometimes the most loving thing, and this is hard, this is easy for me to say because my kids aren't quite at that age where they're fully independent. If you continue to make the choices for your kids and bail them out, chances are they're going to keep making the same choices. Scenario number two. A friend of yours lost his job, but he doesn't feel like finding another one. This has been a couple months now that he's been without work. And he's taking his, his unemployment check that he gets, and he's just kind of goofing around. He says that you only live once, therefore he just wants to get the most out of life. But he keeps coming back to you asking to borrow money. Burden or load? Load. Right? Scenario number three. A married couple with three kids gets in a car wreck. One of the parents dies, leaving the other spouse and the three kids with a ton of needs. Burden or load? Burden. Come alongside hurting people. A dad who works 12 hours a day, six days a week, is having trouble getting his kid to baseball practice. And so he comes up and asks you, hey, would you take my son to baseball practices and would you also kind of take him to his games? Burden or load? Think about that for a moment. Take him to his games, go to all of his practices. Why? Because you don't have boundaries with work. Your responsibility 
is not simply to provide for your family. Your responsibility is to be with your family and raise your family. That's not to say you don't have times when you can't do it, but to simply say, I can't be a parent because I'm too busy being a provider is shirking your responsibility, and you are actually doing him a disservice if you say yes. Load. Trick question, sorry. Last one. An elderly man goes through cancer surgery. He's in the process of healing, but his wife is overwhelmed. She doesn't have the margin to get him to all of his doctor's appointments, get the house clean, make meals, burden or load. Burden, right? Because this is too much for her to carry on her own. And as the family of Christ, we have the opportunity to come alongside and help. This is not something that she has brought on herself simply because she's being lazy, And we have a responsibility as the family of Christ to come alongside and help shoulder these loads. And by the way, this is happening in our church. We have families right now who are carrying heavy, heavy loads. We have people who are driving a spouse to a lot of of doctor's appointments and who are having trouble just feeding the family and keeping the house clean. And as the family of Christ, if we have the ability to help, as many of us do, then we, we want to lean in. And so I know that for Kathy, one of the things that she loves getting to do is my wife is that she likes to organize um, meals for people who are suffering. We probably have two or three of them going on at any given time with families who, are, who just need some help. Maybe it's a new baby and we want to provide meals for that family. Maybe it's somebody who's going through cancer surgery. We want to provide some meals. By the way, if you like to cook or you just like to, to swipe the card and give somebody something that somebody else has cooked and you want to help with this, you want to be on the list for when we have people who have needs, which is regularly. Kathy, raise your hand, baby. This is my wife, Kathy. Um, please let her know. Give her your email address and we will get you on that list just so you can know. That doesn't mean you have to do it every time it comes up. But this is a wonderful, tangible way that we as a church can respond to the needs in helping carry one another's burdens. Kathy and I have also been recipients of this. When Grayson was born 11 weeks prematurely, you guys helped carry that burden. We had people who gave us gas cards to help us get up and back to the Anaheim Kramer um, hospital where our boy was so we could see him every single day. We had people who were providing meals for that. We had people who would grab Ethan and take him to do stuff so that we could be with Grayson. You guys have helped carry those burdens, and in the same way, we just want to continue giving the opportunity to do that because that's what it means to be the body of Christ. All that said, some of us tend to take our burdens and look at them more like loads. Oh, no, this is mine. I mean, this is, this is what God has given me to shoulder. I, I wouldn't want to put this on somebody else. I wouldn't want to be an imposition. And so you take something that is very obviously a burden in your life, and you try to pick the thing up by yourself and carry it. And guess what happens when you do that? You might be able to lift that thing for a little bit. Like if I try, I've tried to move couches on my own. Oh, God made me big, I can do this. And I end up hurting myself and it causes me to not be as available to my family and other responsibilities because I tried to do it on my own. And I have learned, I'm learning, I'm in the process of continuing to learn, need to be reminded regularly that I need help. And when those times come up, I need to be willing to say, hey, could you help me? On the flip side, 
some of us like to walk around with our little day pack of responsibilities, our load, looking for somebody that we can offload it onto. Can you take this for me? This is what a lot of our kids tend to do as they are struggling with this. I'm a kid, I'm an adult, I'm a kid. I want to be an adult, but I really kind of still want to hold on to some of my kid nature. It's like, I love you enough to say, no, you need to carry your own load. That's hard. And I understand that I'm speaking as a man who has an eight and a five-year-old. I'm not fully there yet. Sometimes the most loving thing we can do is say no to somebody who's asking us to carry their load. (coughs) Moving on. Verse 6. On the heels of him talking about burdens and loads, we come to this very interesting little inclusion. He says, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. What? Like, where did that come from, Paul? Remember who he's talking to. He's talking to young, fledgling churches who have just gotten established, who are just figuring out what it looks like to be the body of Christ. And on the heels of saying, each one needs to carry their own load, he anticipates what might be a misconception of what he's saying. And that is to say, so everybody, including the people who are trying to shepherd you, have a responsibility to provide for themselves. Therefore, you, should ha- you shouldn't take responsibility for their financial means. And he's saying, well, wait a minute. In this situation, the church actually has a responsibility to those who are giving their lives to teaching and instructing. He's not talking about himself. Paul actually made a point when he went around of providing for himself. He was a tent maker. Because his goal was evangelism and he was speaking to people who were not believers and he didn't want asking for money to get in the way of sharing the gospel. And so he set an example for them. He's going, hey, I don't want you to think you need to perpetuate this because now within the body of Christ, you guys need to work together as a family and people who are in the process of shepherding and caring for you, they need to be able to do that full time. So you as the body of Christ need to support this. Now, I, wanted, I have wanted so much just to ignore this passage, kind of skip over it and keep going because the church is in an, and I'm talking about church universally, not just Lighthouse. The church has done a really, really poor job of addressing money. More often than not, when we bring it up, it seems self-serving. And it seems like all we're doing is asking for more. And so I want you to know that I would rather skip this passage than talk about it this morning. Simply because I'd like to avoid these awkward conversations. However, this is not about a need. I want to tell you up front that we as a church are doing really well financially. God has blessed us. We own this property. And he's blessed us with enough resources that we actually get to make it better. We get to add on some nice things. We're going to be able to fix some of the dry rot and and paint this year. Not only that, but he's given us enough resources to be able to bring on Don and Jill Shannon to be our our, our missionaries to Orange County. And they're beginning to kind of put out the feelers of going, how can we as a church look beyond the walls of our church? And he's given us the resources to be able to scout and and hire not just a a good associate pastor, but somebody whose quality that will be around for a long time because of your faithfulness. So this is not a call for we need more money. Rather, this is just a declaration that as followers of Jesus Christ, we recognize that sometimes our hearts are tied to our pocketbook. And there's a reason why Jesus spent so much time talking about our resources. Because where your, heart, or where your treasure is, there your heart is as well. So if you are visiting today, this is not for you. Ignore what I'm saying right now. But if you call this your home, 
And you come here to be fed and to be encouraged and to be ultimately equipped to go out and be ministers of the gospel. If, if this is your home, then as a part of this family, I want to challenge you to begin giving to this church to, con- to perpetuate the ministry that God is giving us, to enable us to continue to do the vision. If you didn't, would God provide? Absolutely. But this is not about our need. This is about your need. Because a lot of times our money becomes a rival God. It becomes the idol that we say, I've got this in case of a rainy day. And and sometimes the act of giving a tithe or the act of giving out of our first fruits is a declaration, God, I trust you more than I trust my bank account. Please hear it in that heart because that's the heart with which I share it. We don't need your money, but you need to be in the habit of giving so that your money won't have control of you. You will be able to control it. Make sense? Moving on. All right. From there, Paul goes on. And this this passage should sound pretty familiar if you've been around for any number of months because back in November we did a whole series called The Cumulative Effect where we leaned specifically into these few verses. Paul says, Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, This is actually specifically just like an addition to or or saying the same thing that he said in chapter 5. Remember in chapter 5 he said, it's all about who you choose to follow. You have the flesh, you have the spirit. The one you choose to follow will determine the fruit you see bearing out in your life. Now he simply changes the metaphor from walking after one of these to planting seeds. But the point is the same. If you plant seeds... to the flesh, you're going to reap a harvest to the flesh. But if you plant seeds in obedience of the Spirit, then you will reap an eternal harvest of love, joy, peace, and all those kind of things. But don't think you can pull one over on God. Don't deceive yourself. What we reap, or what what we plant in the ground is ultimately what we are going to see harvest out of the ground. So if you plant apple seeds, don't be surprised that you don't get lemons. And if you want watermelon, don't plant grapevines, right? What you plant is what you are going to get. And so here's a couple of examples of of some things that we might plant. I know you guys want a satisfying relationship with your spouse. But if you sow seeds of lust, finding your eyes wandering and wondering, what if I'd married that person instead? Don't be surprised that you don't see fruit of gratitude and joy in your marriage. Don't be surprised when you find yourself reaping fruit of dissatisfaction and frustration in your marriage. What did you think would happen? You've been sowing seeds of discontentment. You're reaping a harvest of discontentment. And if you sow seeds of jealousy... And discontentment. Let's change it up a little bit. If you find yourself going on social media and comparing your lives to the nice sanitized lives that people choose to post on their social media feeds, don't be surprised that you don't feel joy in your own life. Don't be surprised that you feel discontent 
and that you feel jealous because you're planting seeds in that direction. If you want to find contentment, if you want to experience joy, then practice it by celebrating God's goodness in your own life, by spending time just thanking him for the good things he's done, by maybe even sometimes journaling through, God, look at all the ways you've blessed me. And as you do that, as you focus on his goodness to you, you'll find yourself being far more content. You'll find yourself not needing to feel jealousy towards other people because God is good. If you plant seeds of greed, unwilling to, to, to part with stuff, thinking only about how can I get more, don't be surprised when you find yourself being afraid to give your heart to people or being afraid to come to church because God might ask you for your stuff. If you want to be free of your stuff owning you, then you need to hold your things open-handedly and be generous. And in the process of doing so, you will reap the fruit of joy and, and freedom and in fact, I've seen that, that God removes the need even to worry so much about those things because they just don't have as much of a grip over your heart. Lastly, if you plant seeds of laziness and passivity, you can anticipate that you're going to reap a harvest of disappointment. And, oh, man, that would have been nice. However, if you go the opposite way, if you don't get lazy here, but instead you say, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to lean into this area because I want to see this fruit. I want to be out of debt. That's what I want to be. So I'm going to begin planting seeds in that direction. I'm going to take those baby steps and I'm going to, this month, I'm not going to swipe the credit card, but I'm going to make a payment and I'm going to hold off on buying Starbucks and I'm just going to brew my own. And I'm going to make what, what I saved this month, I'm going to put directly into paying down my debt. Now, I am not suggesting that you won't hit stumbling blocks along the way. You might have an IRS bill that shows up. Or you might have a vehicle that breaks down and all of a sudden, oh my goodness, now we need to go and get that fixed. And it might set you back a little bit. But if you continue to lean in and take those baby steps one day, as I know several of your stories, one day you will say we're debt free and we'll celebrate. Because you... We're planting seeds towards that. Or if you say, you know, I really want to just drop all of that weight that I've put on since whenever. You know, I've gained all this weight. And, I, and so, you know, it so often happens. I see people go, okay, I want to start losing it. And so you go really good for like a week or two and you've gone three or four times a week and your body aches and you go, oh my gosh, I must be ripped. And you go and look in the mirror and you go, still pudgy. Like I don't see any difference. And you get tired you get fatigued, you get discouraged, and you give up. But if you continue, it's not about the amount of times you go. It's not about the amount of meals that you choose to don't order soda, order water. It's about simply doing it and doing it and doing it. And as you plant seeds towards that, amazingly, you will find the weight begin to fall off. I can speak to you as a former fat kid, okay? 280 was my heaviest. So anybody thinks that you can't do it, it is possible. Just saying, oh, don't clap for that. No, I don't need that. Sometimes I do like my ice cream. Okay, so don't be deceived. Don't, don't fool yourself. You can't pull one over on God. Whoever sows to please their flesh from their flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest 
if we don't give up. So keep pushing in, keep leaning in. Therefore, as we have opportunity, as the opportunities present themselves, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Because let's be honest, in a family you care for those you're walking with. And so if you see opportunities, don't just turn a blind eye and go, yeah, but I need mine. God, would you have us respond? How would you have us respond? Show me. Just today, I got blessed because somebody in our, in our, in our congregation has a, a spare vehicle, and both of our vehicles are kind of on their last legs. And so they said, hey, we would like to let you use this for a season as you figure out what you're going to do next. And it's like, thank you. That, that meets a tangible need of ours. That's the body of Christ caring for one another. If you have a burden, do not be afraid to voice it. Because we are called as a family to bear one another's burdens. But if you are just one of those who just want everybody to carry your own load because you just quite honestly don't want to and it chafes your shoulders, I'm sorry. But we want people to be mature here. And so we're going to sometimes push back and say, I can't do that, but I will pray with you and I'll encourage you. Be warm and well fed. Just kidding. God bless you. So now as we wrap this up, as we look at the last couple of verses of Galatians, Paul now kind of comes into his conclusion paragraph. He's already spent six chapters hammering home that we are saved by grace, not by the law. And now he just kind of wants to, to bring it home. And now one of the things he does is he grabs the pen because up to this point, he's just been kind of walking back and forth dictating what he'd like to be written. And then there's a little guy like called an amanuensis is the official Greek term, but he's basically a scribe. And he's sitting there with his little quill and he's writing furiously, trying to keep up with Paul's run on sentences. Yep, okay, got it. Uh-huh, did you, did you say celebrate? Oh, celibate, no, just kidding. You know, like, he's trying to write down what Paul is saying. And now Paul says, okay, let me, let me have the pen. And he writes in his own hands, where did I go? See what large letters I use to write to you with my own hand. This is kind of him signing this letter. This is Paul. Yeah, this guy wrote it down for me, but I just want you to know this is me writing. And then he goes on. Now he reiterates the point that he's made, and that point basically is that we are saved by grace. So don't look to the law. Don't feel that you need to become a Jew in order to take hold of Jesus because the law is obsolete. And there's a a group of people who have been pushing these young believers to get circumcised, to become Jews, to embrace the law, embrace Jesus. And he's saying it. So those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are compel you to be circumcised. And the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Because anybody who looks at the cross and says, wait a minute, you mean to tell me that you don't have to do anything to earn Jesus' sacrifice, that God did it for you? That's ridiculous. And he's saying they want to take away the ridiculousness of the cross by having you jump through these hoops so it feels like you have earned it. Do not give in to that. Verse 13, not even those who get circumcised keep the law perfectly. And yet they want you to be circumcised so that they can boast about what they're doing in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me. It no longer holds control over me and I have been crucified to the world. I am no longer of it. I might live in it, but I'm no longer defined by it. I'm defined by the fact that I am a son of God. You are a daughter of God, created in his image, called to follow him, called to be his representative. 
And because of what he did on the cross, and because of your faith in him, and because of the entrustment of the Holy Spirit into your life, the old is gone and the new has come. You're a new creation, so live like it. Verse 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is being the new creation. So peace and mercy to all of you who follow this rule to the Israel of God, in other words, to the people of God, those who are called by his name, this has just been blown open. It's no longer just people who are Jewish by heritage. It's now anybody who has faith in Jesus Christ gets to be part of the chosen people of God, the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. You want to know whether I really believe what I'm saying? Look at the scars. I've taken beatings. I've been stoned. I've been shipwrecked a few times. Because of how much I believe what I am saying, I'm living it. So let them just stop giving me a hard time about this. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, my brothers and sisters. Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. One last thought. When we started on this adventure two months ago, if I'm being honest with you, I was a little concerned that we would start getting bored moving through this because, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm just being candid with you. This gospel is one major focus. It is grace. It is not by the law. And I was concerned that we would get four or five chapters into this and be going, okay, well, we've heard this so many times. Eh. But as has happened when we did Romans, as has happened when we did Acts, I am finding And God continues to show me this, that his word is living and active. And it may have been written some 2,000 years ago, but it speaks powerfully into our lives here and now. And there's so much richness in his word. And we spent eight weeks unpacking this letter that was written to a group of Christ followers in in the region of Galatia. And we picked it apart, but it was never intended to be read in little vignettes. And so what I want to challenge you to do this week is take 20 minutes, and read this letter in its entirety, the way that Paul intended for it to be heard. We've talked about it now. So now just read it and let God use his word to speak into your life. Maybe you just want to spend your whole week kind of several times leaning in it and letting it wash over you. Because God's word can transform us. All right? Let me pray for us. And then we're going to spend a few minutes worshiping our God. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for loving us. I thank you that you have made us not to try to do life alone, but that you have called us to do life as a family, to bear one another's burdens, even as we shoulder the responsibilities you've entrusted to each of us. May you use us as your ambassadors of hope. May the world know we are your followers by the way we love one another. Give us the eyes to see what you're doing and wisdom to know how to join you in it for your name's sake. Amen.